guys and welcome to Murder Most Gruesome. My name's Andrea. And I'm Yvonne. And we're back with another podcast. Um, and these are on the murders of Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon. And both of these girls were taken from the Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Um, so you've done a little bit of... You've done a couple of podcasts before, haven't you, Yvonne, on these? I have, yes. Um, we will go into it in the podcast, but the perpetrator, spoiler alert, who hasn't been caught for these murders of these two girls, Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty, they suspect he was involved, or the perpetrator, of the murders of Susan and Judith Mackay and the Beaumont children's disappearance. And these are two podcasts that we've done previously, haven't yeah. you? So Yvonne's yeah. covered um, the Beaumont um, children's disappearances and the murders of the Mackay sisters. So there's a trigger warning today. So this podcast contains descriptions of child abduction. So if that's not the thing that you want to look at or listen to today, then maybe a different podcast might be more suitable for you. But we have got other podcasts out there as well. So it was a sunny day at the Adelaide Oval on the 25th of August 1973 and there was an Australian football match on. Two girls disappeared on this day and they are presumed murdered and their whereabouts are still unknown to this day. So the day became seared into Australia's national memory and indeed became known for one of the South Australia's best known crimes. Joanne Ratcliffe, 11, and Kirsty Jane Garden, 5, were attending a football game uh, between Norwood and North Adelaide and the case is commonly referred to as the Adelaide Oval Abductions. So Joanne was attending with her parents, Les and Kathleen Ratcliffe, an older brother and a family friend called Frank. Kirsty Garden, however, was with her grandma as her parents were visiting some friends that day and had taken her younger sister with them. And they were all sat together in the Sir Edwin stand. I think it I think because it was a very busy it was very busy, the Ratcliffe family had a rule that the girls couldn't go to the toilet during break times on their own, should I say. So they weren't allowed to go off on their own to the toilet during the breaks or the last quarter of the game. So at around 3.45pm, the girls went to the toilet together, not in a break, not in the last quarter. I wonder whether like that rule is because it would be very busy during the breaks, there'd be a lot of people about... More opportunities to get yeah. lost. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. About 15 minutes later, and this must have been around 4 o'clock, the family started to look for them, they hadn't returned. And the family went to look for them. So Kathleen, Kathleen Ratcliffe um, asked for an announcement to be made over the PA system. Now, a newspaper article reporting at the in on the inquest at the coroner's court said that her dad was giving evidence and he criticised a man who had actually refused on the grounds to use the grounds broadcasting system to tell other people at the Oval that the girls were missing. So Mr Ratcliffe said that there would have been a one chance in a million of an, of an abduction being prevented if the announcement hadn't been made. But the man who refused to make the announcement, um, he was called Mr Bundle, he basically bluntly refused to report that the girls were missing because it would have interfered with the football match. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, you know, 
you know, far be it for a football match to be um, interrupted because two girls have gone missing. Exactly. It was eventually put over the broadcasting system five minutes after the match had ended and this was at five o'clock. So this was over an hour after the family had last seen the girls. Which would have been people would have actually been leaving. Yeah. And going and I can imagine... I know, and I mean it's missing children, and it would be serious. But you've got other things. You're look, you're you're looking after people. You're doing things. You're trying to get to your car. It probably would be the last thing on people's minds. That uh, yeah, well it would be, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. This being said, so the girls had left, been last seen by the family at three forty-five. They refused to put a announcement out on the broadcasting system. And eventually they did put an announcement out and this was after 5pm. And at 5.12pm the girls were finally reported missing to the police. Okay, so you would, you'd want, you'd want to put it out. You don't want to phone the police, I would imagine, because you, you'd imagine like in a big football stadium, though, yeah. you would think, oh, they've just gone to the wrong level. They couldn't step, find the way it? back I, to the seats. I've been very lucky that that's never happened to me, but I should imagine you think, no, I couldn't ring. You know, ringing the police is a big thing. I would. Be, is this what I want to do? This sets off something now, and are they going to come tripping around the tripping around the corner with an ice cream because they've gone to the ice cream van? And it's a big step to call the police, isn't it? Yeah, and remember when your you Don went missing? Yeah. We, oh yeah, it has actually, happened, it has actually happened. Yeah. I mean, obviously he didn't go missing, missing, but he was in a. There was in a park and it was like three different layers Levels. of yeah. like kids playing because that was just like a nightmare. Yeah, that? and he was, you know, he was quite young and he just, he just one minute was there into another level. Yeah, and, and I were running up and down by the time, and I must have found her within five minutes. But by the time, I think he'd run past my mum who'd sat down and she said, "You best stay there. Your mother's going bonkers." And I were absolutely in a in a tiz was, and I'd gone up to like the people in the gift shop and said, "Can you put can you radio put something on the radio?" And there's that, and there's that thing. Am I? At what point do you say, right, that is it, we're calling the police? Yeah, because you just imagine they've wandered it? off somewhere and you're going to find them, and as we did with him. He'd yeah. wondered, I think he was climbing, going up the slat, oh, and yeah, and it was, I had to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a lot younger then, I think I was about 30. I know, and, I, and, to, be, and to be honest as well, and I know we'll get, we'll get back to it in a second, but on the same note, I was watching a TV program the other day and somebody lost on it. It was like a, it was a series, so it wasn't real life. Someone had lost their kid in a mall in America and within 30 seconds she'd rung the police. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, I wouldn't ring them that soon. I'd make yeah. sure that I checked. And it did turn out that they, you know, they found the kid in the mall. They were hiding, eating sweets. And... Yeah. But it's, is there a right t- is there a right n- amount of time? You can kind of like criticise it, not that we were for a second, but it's just, you, I suppose you judge the right time, yeah, don't you, as, you do. as a parent? After they were last seen by their family, Joanne and Kirsty were seen several times in the 90 minutes after they'd left them. So at one point they were seen trying to pet a stray cat and other children, and later, so with some other children, and later with an unknown man, where the girls were seen visibly upset, and the man was actually carrying Kirsty. So witnesses who saw the man with the upset girls just assumed that it was a parent with their child, and didn't realise that they were actually witnessing an abduction. 
this is broad daylight. Yeah. Broad daylight, man scene, carrying Kirsty away and <clears throat> other people saw it. So it would take some nerve to take a child from a stadium middle of the day. In broad daylight, yeah. yeah. And I think as an adult, I think I would assume that a parent with an upset child, that you would you you would assume it was a parent with an upset child rather than the horrific truth that you were actually witnessing an abduction. Um, yeah. So the last sighting of the girls was on a bridge near Adelaide Zoo. And there was another witness sighting of them near North Adelaide Railway Station also. Witnesses describe a skinny-faced man around the age of 40 wearing a brimmed hat and a tweed jacket. And they was this man was spotted with the girls in and around the Oval by numerous witnesses. So the assistant curator of Adelaide Oval, and his name is Ken Wohling, spotted the man and two young girls behind the grandstand trying to coax the kitten out from underneath the cat. So that were the cat sighting. So then. that's the stray cat. Mm. Anthony Kilmartin, who was 13 years at the time, 13 years old at the time, was selling drinks and ice creams when he saw a man come from behind a tree and scum- scoop up a younger girl, the young girl, with one arm and carry her towards the southern gates, with Joanne frantically following behind. According to Anthony, Joanne, who he later identified from a selection of photographs, was kicking the man in the shins and pulling at his jacket. He was angrily yelling to clear her, telling her to basically clear off before eventually taking her by the arm and leading both children out the gates. So that... That suggests to me that he may not have originally planned on taking Joanne if you were telling to clear off. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously realised she's not, she's creating too much of a scene and, and dragged her along with him. Yeah, I agree. I also think as well that if you were an adult and you saw that, so someone telling a young girl to clear off, clear off and then grabbing her by the arm. Yeah, yeah, that would be... That's a, a flag, in it? It's a red flag. Oh, I yeah. don't know. It's just, it's so hard to say what you would do if you weren't in that situation. And like we've said, most people just assumed it See, was that guy's kids or grandkids. I've taken one kid out of a, of a situation and left the other child, mm. the other child with the other adults I'm with, the other fa- other family members. I've I know my my son when he was younger he was misbehaving, and I picked him up. He's kicking and screaming, having a tantrum, and I took him out of the. It was a it was a play area. Play area. So you're not necessarily. I don't know. It's, it's so easy to yeah. say what you would and wouldn't do, but I, I suspect I probably just think it was a granddad taking the. You know. Sue Laurie, who was 14, witnessed the same scene, but mistook it as a family argument. And even after learning about the abductions, she didn't make the link. And it wasn't until 1980, when she offhandedly mentioned the scene to her husband, that it began to weigh heavily on her mind, and she reported it to the police. She didn't, after, on that particular day, she didn't think about it again until these, until this 1980, which is nearly two decades later. And in an interview with Adelaide Station, um, 5AA, in 1998, she remembered, and this is a quote, The child was crying and a second girl who looked a few years younger than me was running after the man, thumping him and punching him and shouting, we want to go back. I assume, absolutely assumed, that the man must be the girl's grandfather and the girls were misbehaving. I watched it all for about 60 seconds and my my main reaction was surprise that the grandfather didn't tell off his granddaughter for hitting him. 90 minutes later, 
a motorist after being seen by around the time where he was carrying off Kirsty and dragging Joanne behind him. A motorist spotted the trio around three kilometres past the oval and Joanne was in such a distressed state that the man actually pulled his car over but he then thought twice about interfering and this was the last official sighting of the two girls and the man. Oh, how guilty would you feel? Yeah. He felt, yeah, if only I'd have got out. No. There must have been something though. Yeah. There must have been something. Something must have triggered him and it's a bit like, I think sometimes it's like, Gut feelings. That's that's been a gut feeling, and then he start. No, don't interfere. It's so the man had quite a distinct appearance, and how he was behaving in broad daylight in the oval containing thirteen thousand people, and the police were able to get a detailed and accurate description, and this it description bore an eerie resemblance to the one drawn years earlier after the Beaumont children disappeared. Yeah. So that is one of our previous podcast it's very interesting so if you haven't already listened to it it's really worth a listen so in 1979 joanne's father told the coroner's car of queensland that his daughter would not have left voluntarily she had not met kirsty before that day and he did not know her parents and in 2014 a million dollar reward was offered by the south australian government wow that is a lot of money god yeah but i think it is one of their it is really one of those crimes that everybody knows about and everybody, you know, it's worth them get. they want to get it solved. Although the perpetrator now, it, it was in his 40s, we're talking about that man could be, most likely, he's either very old or dead at this point. Yeah. If you remember we mentioned earlier that Joanne's, Joanne went with her grandparents to the Oval because her parents and her younger sister were visiting friends. Joanne's younger sister is called Susie Ratcliffe and she's obviously now grown up and she has dedicated her life to finding out what happened to the two girls 50 years ago and has called for evidence in long-term missing children cases to be urgently tested for DNA. Which would make sense because if they're cold cases then that person has lived a long time not being in prison for that crime and they run the risk of them dying before they can prosecute them. Yeah, their hope is, or her hope is, that if they test uh, previous cases for DNA, then these predators and murderers that have been hiding for years and decades can now be caught with the new advances um, of DNA that may have been left many, many years ago before they realised how easy... Before DNA became a thing. Yeah. So, one of the most... One of the recent cases we covered, which was Arthur Stanley Brown on Arthur Stanley Brown with the Mackay girls. By the time he was in front of a judge and jury, he was too old and senile and died an innocent man. You know, inverted commas, innocent. Yeah. Despite being named the number one suspect. So Susie Ratcliffe believes that the police are sitting on a gold mine of DNA evidence that could solve countless cases. And I can't imagine knowing that the person or the person's responsible for your sister's disappearance and in my name, in my opinion, sorry, murder, murder of those girls, although their bodies have never been found, is still out there. It, it would be really, it would sit so unwell with you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Knowing that, like, your, your sister had been taken and never knowing what happened to her. So 
never knowing and knowing that that person was most likely out there living their life and living it freely and that they'd be free to hurt people and children and you don't know who it is. So here's a quote that Susie Ratcliffe gave in an interview with news.com.australia. Susie Ratcliffe says, it's paramount that everything that has been collected in the cases of these long-term missing children is retested for DNA. With all the advances in DNA technology, it's very possible that retesting will provide answers that families like mine have been waiting for. These are families who have been living in a state of anguish and grief for decades, wondering every single day what happened to their loved ones. With the missing, there is no such thing as closure. It never ends and it doesn't get any easier. After 5, 15 or 50 years, the grief and frustration is still there and that pain never eases. If DNA retesting leads to the match in just one of those cases, it would be worth it and also give hope to others who, whose lives have been in suspension since the day their loved one vanished. So Susan Ra Susie Ratcliffe actually runs the Missing Persons Advocacy Group, Leave the Light on, Inc., and this is named after her mother left the porch on every night for her missing daughter to show a path for Joanne to come home. Oh, that's so sad. Breaks your heart. Yeah. These two girls went missing. They've never been found. They're presumed dead because I don't think they have any evidence to suggest otherwise. And they know that there are people out there who somebody is out, who, someone's out there who is responsible for this. So we're going to look at now the two suspects that have stood out two in this case. Of, yeah. The first one is Arthur Stanley Brown, who we've touched on in an earlier podcast podcast on the Mackay sisters. And the other one, and this is confusing, but it, it is true, is Stanley Arthur Hart. So we've got Arthur Stanley Brown and Stanley Arthur Hart. Yeah, there is a... So I might just refer to them as Brown and Hart. Right. Okay, so Hart, we'll start with Hart. He was a known paedophile and he actually died in 1999. And since former properties, since then, former properties of this man, of Hart, have been extensively searched as searched as part of the investigation into the abduction of the two girls. He was actually named by his grandson <laughs> as a suspect. So his grandson said that he had actually done this crime but his grandson, interestingly enough, is also a convicted paedophile named Mark Trevor Marshall. And in a in 2007, he gave a confession, provided he gave a confession to the Mulligan inquiry into the abuse of children in state care. And there is a written confession to a counsellor placing him and his grandfather, Hart, at the Adelaide Oval that day. So this confession has been scrutinised by experts uh, in which he claimed that Hart abducted and murdered Joanne and Kirsty, and the investigators have claimed it's the most chilling statement they've ever read, wow. which it takes, takes some, some doing. Detectives and police, because they deal with all kinds of crimes. And... Exactly, and they say that the confession is horrific. They abducted the girls and took them into the country and they were murdered, says literally an investigator. He also believed that there was enough detail in the confession to warrant believing Marshall and says that I felt that there's a lot of compelling facts that check out from within that confession. Once you dig through the layers of explanation and the layers of embellishment, 
there are facts there. So another investigator that read it also agrees with his opinion and this guy, this the investigator was called Hayes and he says, I totally agree. There are things in there that compel you to think that he does know what he's talking about. There are too many pieces of information and details in there that are irrefutably real. There's details in there that he's come up with that he could not have known unless he actually met her personally. Hart was a known paedophile and he had been interviewed by the police days after the abduction and he had a reputation as a child abuser and had multiple addresses and connections in Adelaide where he resided. And in fact, former detective, who didn't want to be named in the sources, believed that Hart was operating a paedophile ring and was very active and well-connected. He says that Hart was about five, five kilometres from the Oval and well within geographical area you'd expect him to be hunting wow. in. And we know more about those things now, don't we? This was, this was in a time when I I grew up in it about in this t- era, and you didn't hear hear the words paedophile. You didn't, mm. you didn't. It was stranger danger, which I suppose this is in a way. But you didn't wasn't a term. You you didn't understand what it meant or what they could do really. No, I don't think many people did, even adults about grooming and child abuse and there was a lot of strange danger but there wasn't much information given or advice given to children about if it was and we know a lot of abuses Mm. committed by people who know the family that wasn't a something that was ever talked about no it it happened obviously Mm. it happened but i don't think there was the fear was there was it with parents i I remember when we were kids we 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 were just like we'd leave the house we'd go and play in fields nearby where we lived and that's not something really that kids i don't know whether it's because we don't trust other people enough to like let your kids go off and be off all day or kids are more often i mean to be fair one of the biggest dangers as well these days is grooming online with yeah. kids being online and online safety, isn't it? Back to Hart. So Hart's childhood home in Prospect, and this is a place which is about eight kilometres from Adelaide Oval, was searched after officers excavated two wells at another of his former homes in Yatina. So an old underground bunker was found at Hart's Prospect home, which had two entrances and could hold at least four adults. There was, this was reportedly filled in before 1975, which was after the disappearance of the girls. And police also knocked down walls and dug up the backyard of his property in Utina. However, Susie Laurie, the eye witness from the day... A 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah, the 14-year-old that... She said she thought it was a granddad with his yeah. granddaughters. So this was, she was shown pictures of Hart as well as Brown, which is an other suspect, which we're going to talk about. And although they both looked similar and they had hats on and even their names and the fact that they were both paedophiles, she actually identified Brown and not Hart. Right. They put him forward as a strong suspect, but one of the witnesses there didn't identify him as the man that she'd seen. And the question remains, so although you, we might suspect that it's not Hart, he was a paedophile, Brown was a paedophile, and it makes you wonder whether they were actually if part of the same... If there were this paedophile ring, you'd imagine yeah. that they would know each other. Yeah, quite possibly. You just don't know. One person might have abducted them. Yeah. So obviously Hart's grandson had some knowledge. Yeah. 
about this. Because he was also a paedophile, wasn't he? It hearts grandson. Yeah. Keep it in the family. Well, they do say that, don't they? Yeah. That the victim becomes the abuser, yeah. don't they? Many of the suspects in the Beaumont children disappearance are also suspects in this case. So this is where there are links, and this is why we did this podcast, including the uh, child killers, Bevan Spencer von Eyman and Derek Percy. So witness reports led police to believe that they were abducted by a middle-aged man and further the police sketch of the man last seen with the two girls resembles the man last seen with the Beaumont children. Arthur Stanley Brown, so Brown, who lived 1912 to 2002, is considered a suspect for both cases as he bore a striking similarity to an identical picture of the suspect, suspect for both cases. So this and the Beaumont children? Yes. Yeah. So a witness reported seeing a man near the oval carrying a young girl while another older girl in the distress followed. We already know this. Yeah. And the woman first saw the single... Sorry. The woman first saw him for a single minute when aged 14 and identified him 25 years later yeah. in December 1998 when she saw him on television. Wow. I think so. He's on the television because it arrested him for this Judith and Susan Mackay yep. case. And she's seen him on that. And, and thought that's the same person. Yeah. yeah. In 2013, Ratcliffe's sister, Susie Wilkinson, appealed to the authorities to look into the role of a family friend, Frank. If you remember at the start of the podcast, we talked about um, this family friend going to, the, going to the match with the... Um, Ratcliffe family. With the Ratcliffe family, sorry. And this person may have played a role in the disappearance of the girls. She wants she wanted him to basically look into Frank as a suspect. So Frank had accompanied the families to the Oval on the day of the girls' abductions, but may not have been formally questioned by the police. So Frank is alleged to have had intimate knowledge about the girls' routine behaviours during the football um, match outings. And it was also said that Frank left his seat for approximately 30 minutes before the disappearance of the girls, but later remained seated and did not participate when others formed search parties to look for them. And Gordon's grandmother also took notice of Frank's behaviour during the search for the girls, saying, the other man stayed in his seat. And Wilkinson expressed her desire for the authorities to come continue to actively work on her sister's case. How weird would it be, and how annoyed would you be, if two children in your party disappeared and somebody, someone else in your party, despite the fact he wasn't related to them, didn't get off the seat to look for them. Yeah. I think that's strange. I do as well. It's strange behaviour, but then people do strange behaviours, don't they? You hear more about when you watch these documentaries that people get involved in it more. So Mm. who's to say? I would imagine the police looked at him, though. But are they trying to say that when he left his seat before the children went missing, had he rung someone? Mm. Had he set it up? Had he set it up? And then actively was making a point of not being able to be out and about and say, well, I'm sitting in his seat and this is where I was all the time. Any, mm. Everyone could see me sat in his seat. I wasn't anything to do with the case. Yeah. I don't know. That is the end of the story. The girls were never seen again. But 
kind of just obviously add that this is an unsolved case so if anyone has any information relating to this case to please contact the relevant authorities and share with them what uh, share with them what you know okay so thank you very much Yvonne do you want to give our social media yeah okay so we uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram murder most gruesome we have a email address and we have been um, asking for your spooky stories or strange stories for you to email those to us at murdermostgruesomepodcast at gmail.com. We've got a few. Um, I'm wanting to have a few more and then we can do an episode of like listeners' stories, which I think would be really interesting. Really interesting. So write, write to us at murdermostgruesomepodcast at gmail.com. And do we know what we're looking at for our next podcast, Yvonne? We do. Are working on something? We are looking at, this is an in, a, a crime that occurred in the United Kingdom. And it's the murders of two, well, of a teenager and a woman. Uh, two cases, but the police strongly suspect they're linked. And it's the murders of Kate Bushell and Lynn Bryant. Ooh, interesting. So that'll be, that'll be ready in the next couple of days. So look out for that. Uh, thank you very much and bye-bye. Bye.